Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. Uh, we really had to stretch that one, didn't we, Ryan? Um, <laughs> good morning, LBCF, and uh, happy Father's Day to you fathers out there and uh, and those of you who serve as role models to the younger folks. I want to say thank you. Um, thank you to my brothers who are great examples to me about true fatherhood, and I'm talking about you LBCF brothers for, for one group, that's for sure, that uh, that are a, a constant encouragement to me that the next generation is owning their role as fathers and teaching their kids to follow Jesus. It's really, it's really exciting to me. Um, and thanks to all of you who have been praying and uh, texting and called about Teresa's knee surgery, my wife. Um, she's recovering well. And it was a nerve wracking time for her because she doesn't react well to anesthesia and uh, has had, had some negative experiences with it. So it was a really big deal. Um, I'll talk about that more as we go through uh, our message because in the midst of the message, there was something that Teresa did that really reveals the kind of person she is, which I think is so, so great and so heavy and so devoted to Jesus. So have you guys ever had a um, difficult conversation with somebody you love? Uh, I'm sure you have. Uh, really takes some internal fortitude for sure, right? And uh, to have those conversations. But I think more importantly than that, it takes something else. And uh, we'll get to that in just a second. But let me give you a little background. I mean, Steve pointed out last week that this second epistle of Paul to the Corinthians was the fourth letter he wrote to him. And I just want to give a little uh, understanding about the, the pattern of how this worked, right? He lived with them for 18 months. He wrote a letter, he wrote a letter before 1 Corinthians. He wrote 1 Corinthians from Ephesus. He made a painful visit, he calls it. Uh, he wrote a severe letter delivered by Titus. And then he wrote 2 Corinthians from Macedonia. And just think about this. They wouldn't be able to call or email or text or Zoom or anything. So you couldn't really see the expression on each other's face when you're talking, right? And that really, that really kind of misses something. Don't you find that when you can't uh, connect with somebody visually, that it's really tough to really get what they're, whether they're hearing you, whether you're coming across right, all that stuff. And uh, they relied on two things for their communication, right? Letters or face-to-face -face visits. And imagine how it would be if Paul felt he needed to communicate something he knew to be pretty harsh for them. I mean, Paul founded this church there. They didn't even know anything about Jesus before he showed up. And so he comes to them it, at that time, you know, a, a while back before this letter, and there wasn't a church there at all. And then these folks are actually saying to Paul, hey, Paul, uh, we need some letters of recommendation. Uh, we don't really like what you're saying to us, uh, all of this stuff. And Paul's saying, wait, wait a minute. I'm, I'm the one who told you in the first, don't you remember? <laughs> and, but he treated them like 
his kids, not just like a group of people that he was trying to tell what to do. He treated them like his own kids. So given that background, let's take a look at the scripture, but I'm going to read it in a different version. I'm going to read it in the message to give you another sense of Paul's heart. And if you know anything about the message, that was a Eugene Peterson's uh, interpretation for his kids. He's trying to communicate, right, at a, at a level that, they, that uh, the kids would understand, maybe junior high kids. So when you're hearing this, understand that Paul's not talking down to them, but Paul's talking intimately with them. So he says, well, this is my third visit coming up. Remember the scripture that says a matter becomes clear after two or three witnesses give evidence? On my second visit, I warned that a, that bunch that keeps sinning over and over in the same ways that when I came back, I wouldn't go easy on them. Now, preparing for the third visit, I'm saying it again from a distance. If you haven't changed your ways by the time I get here, look out because you've been uh, you've been demanding proof that Jesus speaks through me, and uh, you'll get more than your bargain for. Uh, you'll get the full force of Christ. Don't think you won't. He was in sheer weakness and humiliation when he was killed on the cross, but oh, he's alive now in the mighty power of God. And we weren't much to look at either uh, when we were humiliated among you. But when we deal with you this next time, we'll be alive in Christ, strengthened by God. But test yourselves to make sure you're solid in the faith. Don't drift along taking everything for granted. Give yourselves regular checkups. You need firsthand evidence, not just mere, mere hearsay that Jesus Christ is in you. Test it. Test it out. Because if you fail the test, do something about it. I hope the test won't show that we have failed. But if it comes to that, we'd rather the test showed our failure than yours. We're rooting for the truth to win out in you. We couldn't possibly do otherwise. We don't just put up with our limitations. We celebrate them and then go on to celebrate every strength, every triumph of the truth in you. We pray hard that it will all come together in your life. And I'm writing this to you now so that when I come, I won't have to say any more on this subject. The authority the master gave me is for putting people together, not taking them apart. And I want to get on with it, the building you up, and not have you not have to spend time on reprimands. You see a little clearer the heart of Paul in this. I want to uh, in in reference to this. Let me tell you a little story. Um, my dad was uh, my dad was very close to the best with his emotions. Um, very holds things back, right? And but he would let you know when he wanted to communicate something. He would tell us he loved us, right? We I had a great dad. He was um, amazing, and I can't say enough about him. But this story rings so true about the fullness of how, how he was as a person. And he said one day, one day I was uh, my mom told me I want you to go to the store and give me some. I was probably 16 years old, right? So I just got my license and you know you always want to go driving off when you get your license but this time i didn't want to go and i was upset and something so i get in the car it's in the garage i get in the car fired up and i hear this 
expletive from my dad that I had never heard. And uh, he dropped an F-bomb and I never heard him do it before and never heard him do it since. But it was, he was under the car and I didn't know it and had his hand up by the flywheel when I fired it up. So you can just imagine how that must have felt to be in, a, in his position. So I turn off the car and he's yelling, what the heck are you doing, blah, 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 you know. So I'm petrified and I go into the room and I'm shaking going, oh no, I don't know what's going to happen. What's my dad going to do? All this stuff, right? Not even thinking about what I might have done <laughs> to my dad in that scenario. But he comes into the room. He closes the door. And he says, son, I'm sorry. He said, I was afraid. I was afraid that I was going to get my hand cut off or something in there. And it was very dangerous. And I was like blown away and relieved in all those feelings you feel. But what it really spoke to me was that my dad actually was aware of how that might have come across to me and was able to communicate to me, hey, this is what I was feeling in that moment. And that's why I did what I did. And I'm sorry about that. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, he's going to come in there with the belt. This is old school days, you know, or something like that. But he didn't. He came in weakness. He came in humility. Let's throw up that other slide, Matt. In 1 Corinthians 12, uh, Mary alluded to this earlier in her message, and that is that I will boast only about my weaknesses. If I wanted to boast, I'd be no fool in doing so because I'd be telling the truth, but I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. Even though I've received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud of it, given a thorn in my flesh, like Mary talked about, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. And three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. And that's why I take pleasure in my weakness. How many of us can say that, right? I, I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. When we come to one another with our own weaknesses fully in front of us, it doesn't stop us from saying the hard things sometimes that we need to say or even receive for ourselves, right? But it helps us to do it in a way that has a better chance of being received, that's for sure. And maybe more importantly, it helps us to receive from others what we need to receive. There's a, there's a passage in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14, Paul says something that really captures the heart of all that he is trying to articulate. And he says this, I don't want what you have. I want you. He, 
if we could communicate that and receive that from those that we are communicating with, it will go a long way to bridging the gaps that we see in our political divide, in our, um, in the racial difficulties that we're experiencing, the, the discrimination, that kind of thing, it would go a long way in, in helping us to navigate the coronavirus, all of that. Because if we want others, right, if our goal is to bless and to, to have the best for someone else, man, there's, that's amazing. And my friends, I see it in you, and let me speak to the men, because if you don't know, I'm the men's ministry director here at LBCF, and I want to speak to it to my men right now. And I see how you are with your kids, and it's incredible. I've had conversations with you that we've dialogued about things that I've gone through, and maybe you're going through, and how do you how do you navigate it with your your 15-year-old daughter who you know you're, she's going to have suitors, as it were, soon enough, and uh, you want to help her with that. Those are the things that we're in each other's lives for. That's why we're with each other, so we can bounce those things off, get some ideas, get some creative uh, juices flowing of how we can help and encourage each other to follow Jesus. Because this isn't just about ourselves. And it's not about other people as much as we'd like it to be, even if it is. It's really about Jesus and what he wants for us. So what difference does that make for you and me? Let me tell you what I think it is. Paul, Paul goes, you know, when I'm reading through this passage in 13, he talks about testing yourselves. And I told you I'd refer to this later. Teresa, when she went in to get her surgery, she's laying there waiting for this to happen, knowing that she's had some bad experiences under anesthesia and all that stuff. She's, she said to me later, I was repenting of my sins. I was calling out to Jesus. I was getting things squared away. What that, what that says to me is not so much that there's a, there's a fear involved in I got to clean up my act. But there was a soberness to the fact that we're following God, who, <laughs> who's going to be the, the final answer on entering in, being with him forever, all of that. And Teresa was getting herself ready. And uh, I learned from that about how often I need to be getting myself ready. That's for sure. And it's got to be a regular thing. So what difference does this make, all of this subject matter, make for you and for me? I think the most important thing and the most important difference it can make is when we see our own weaknesses, our own failures, may it be a springboard, may it not, may it not disqualify you, but may it be a springboard to knowing that it's the perfect opportunity for God to be working within you, through you, to other people, and, and for them to be working in you, and for you to be able to receive it from them. That's what I think the biggest difference it makes for us is. Let's go ahead and continue worship now with uh, Rob Schmidt. <laughs> 
We hope this teaching has encouraged and challenged you. We always have more resources available at our website, lbcf.org. And wherever you are and wherever you're listening, we pray you be filled with grace to learn to live in love like Jesus.